Uh, Bob Iacchino, the founder, uh, the chief strategist of Path Trading Partners, is joining us here this morning because we just had durable goods orders get released here. And Bob, welcome. First and foremost, thanks for sharing part of your Wednesday with us to take a look at the data on financial markets. I'm looking at the number which just came across the wire pretty strong. Your thoughts initially? Well, that's a good number. That leaves us now in a position where of the last 10 durable goods orders numbers, five have beaten analyst expectations and four have exceeded, or I'm sorry, five have exceeded analyst expectations. And in that particular time period, we've only had three negative numbers. So durable goods is doing the opposite of what you and Michael were talking about in terms of a slowdown. Now, that individual number doesn't mean that much, yeah. especially given that we're in the biggest week of earnings that there basically is, and also that we've got the Fed meeting today. So I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in it um, as to whether it drives the market one way or the other, because there may be a little bit of perhaps short covering on a number like this, but then you look right away and it's like, we've got the Fed meeting, we've got more tech earnings, and you just kind of pull away from that. Yeah, the ES headed into this number at 39.57. We're basically right there right now as we speak. Uh, I did notice the 10 years come off just a bit, a few ticks off the levels where we were, but nothing uh, significant here or nothing to really ruffle feathers at this point. And I guess one could argue that we're maybe even uh, looking forward ahead in terms of data, at least in terms of the GDP number tomorrow. I mean, I guess, you know, a lot of debate in terms of whether we've technically entered into a recession. There's been some uh, redefining of what a recession means from the uh, Biden administration as well as of recent. But can you talk to us a little bit about even if we are, I mean, Bob, one could argue with the employment, uh, unemployment below 5%, uh, again, the durable goods orders numbers that we're seeing here. I mean, not your typical recession, I guess one could argue. You know what I'm starting to think about this, Ben? Who cares? <laughs> I mean, who cares if we're in a recession or not? Right. The reason I say that, I'll just give you an, a real-world example. I got sick sick last week, took a COVID test. It was negative. I stayed home. I felt like crap. doesn't matter. Though. You're still sick. didn't matter. I was right. still sick. Right. So we were talking about this yesterday on our Path Trading Partners live stream with some of our members on YouTube. We were basically saying, you know, so let's say it's called a recession six months from now, eight months from now, a year from now. The National Bureau of Economic Research has not only listed four or five different criterion for a recession, but they also, in the statement that I read yesterday, and it was from the NBER, it said, lately, we have paid more attention to wages minus transfers and to employment. Hmm. Lately. Hmm. So that means I guess the definition can change even from the crew who's officially charged with calling recession. Yeah. Not only that, but it's called after the fact. Yeah. So I've come to think about it as I don't really care. I guess the only reason it matters is we can either give the credit uh, to the Fed for a soft landing or blame them for dropping us into a recession. Either way, you know, I heard you and Michael talk and Michael was mentioning and, and appropriately so that the Fed may acknowledge that the economy has slowed a little bit. And what you and I have been talking about for well over a year now is that there was already some slowing. I look back at non-manufacturing ISM, the peak of that was March of 2021. Manufacturing ISM in the US, the peak of that was January 2021. So if you use those as proxies for the overall economy, and I feel they're pretty good ones, I mean, you're missing a lot of things like wages and like the job market, but you do get prices paid and everything else all just sort of mashed into that number. And the peak came over a year ago for both of those metrics, and we've been dropping ever since. And that's why a lot of us said, including you and Michael, that the Fed was behind the curve because they could have been normalizing rates at that time. Now they're not normalizing rates. 
they're actually pulling back during a slowdown. So the problem is, do we go into a recession? Do we go into stagflation? I would worry much more about stagflation than I would about a recession. You know, Bob, as you say that, it makes me think, well, maybe that's what we're waiting for then is the next jobs report. We have 75 basis points basically penciled in for this afternoon. And uh, with all the focus here on this recession, I mean, that really ties back to us as individuals having jobs, right? I mean, we can spend, we can make purchases as long as we have income. Without that, ultimately, we're talking about a, a much worse case scenario. You know, I was watching Nouriel Roubini, Dr. Doom, as he's known, on an interview the other day, and he basically said that the people who think it's going to be a short, shallow recession are delusional. He said it's going to be long and protracted. If the jobs numbers stay fairly robust, yeah. Nouriel is going to be wrong. And I think that's what you're pointing to, is that even if we get into a recession and people have jobs and they're taking home some money, yeah, maybe auto sales go down, maybe durable goods drop finally in more of a succession or more of a, a trend. Uh, maybe Nike suffers a little bit. But, but off extremely yeah. lofty levels, relatively lofty levels, and maybe just weakening, not necessarily cratering, you're saying. Exactly. I've been calling for more of a longer but shallow recession. Okay. Um, I think that's really the case because of the jobs market. I don't think you're going to see the, the U3, the unemployment rate that we all look at on the first Friday of every month, going anywhere near six or seven percent. That's what would concern me. Gets up above four, even approaches five. Yeah, that's a deterioration, but it's still not that bad historically. Bob, talk to us about what you're seeing in terms of earnings this time around, because, you know, that uh, scenario being painted, that, uh, uh, you know, picture that you just provided us ultimately, I mean, I'm not sure that that really provides an environment where investors want to kind of uh, get out on a limb necessarily and want to start to do some initiative type buying. It sort of maybe seems like kind of more supportive of sort of a treading water type scenario or even more so, again, uh, possibly kind of, uh, um, you know, easing of some of the exposure. And that would sort of feed into the bear market type price activity, the characteristics of we've seen off that January high. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the bear conversation now is uh, rather than are we in a recession currently or are we not in a recession currently, the bigger conversation should be, and I think has been, is the bottom in inequities or is it not in? Okay. Now, I'm in the camp that it's not in, but I also think it's not that far from our re recent lows. That's sort of 34, 3,500 S&P low. I don't remember the exact number as we talk now. Uh, I suspect the bottom will be a lot closer to about 33 or 3,200. Okay. But from that perspective, when you look at where we're coming from, if we're going to get out of a bear market, which we are, Okay, it's just a matter of when. Then we're going to make new highs. And if you bought the S&P at 3,600, 3,700, 3,800, or you bought it closer where I think the long-term bottom is, which is about 33 or 3,200, and we get up to 5,000, is it that big of a deal? And I argue that it isn't. From a trading perspective, we have not started buying. From a long-term investing perspective, we have. So what would be a big deal? Uh, would it be a breakout up through 5,000? I always say, again, you have these levels. And if we were to have placed a bottom in right now at 3639, that was the June low in terms of the futures. You've got the upper extreme at 4808 right now, the January highs. I mean, obviously, anything within that range is just kind of random. But if we start to see something, and where would something initiative come into play? It would be up and through the 4800 level. But then ultimately, not only taking out that level, Bob, but something sustained above that level, I'd imagine, establishing a new area of value at a higher level. Well, the reason I bring that level up, uh, the recent highs, I should say, or the all-time highs, I should say, is because there are some things that still have a technical definition. One of those is a bear market. Yeah. 
So bear market is a 20% close from the recent all-time high, 20% uh, lower. We got that. Yeah. So now we're in a bear market. The exit of the bear market to call something no longer, or to no longer call something, I should say, a bear market rally, we have to have new all-time highs. Okay. So that's why I bring that up. Okay. Now, I'm not waiting for new all-time highs. That's certainly not the case. We have certain processes in place. And again, we talk about them on our YouTube channel where we do we have a long-term um buy signal yet or not and currently we don't okay. but having said that there is still value to a lot of areas of the market where unless you believe this bear market is permanent um even if we do it look even if this is as bad as the 2000s we're halfway done with it hmm. the nasdaq already fell almost 30 percent in the 2000s it fell 78 percent. so we're almost halfway done with it even if you think uh this is worse as bad as then or worse than that but I've brought it up before, during that period in 2000 where the NASDAQ fell uh, over 70%, there were four rallies of over 10%, two rallies of over 30%, I'm sorry, three rallies of over uh, 20%, and two rallies of over 30%. One of them was over 40%. This was all in the midst of falling over 70% in the NASDAQ. So there can be plenty of rallies. I mean, we can get all the way up to you know, 10, 11,000 in the NASDAQ, I'm sorry, 15,000 in the NASDAQ, and it's still not be out of a bear market because you have to have a new all-time high to do that. 14,179 is where the 200-day moving average lies. We're looking at it right now. Bob, we got a little bit off track here. My fault. I accept responsibility. <laughs> we were supposed to talk commodities. I want to kind of shift gears and just get your thoughts on, well, a couple of the headwinds for investors, for traders, indices, whether you're talking here in the U.S. or globally, ultimately, you've got an energy crisis developing in Europe. We saw a huge spike in natural gas yesterday up to a 14-year highs. Uh, there's a lot of unknowns regarding this pipeline flows to Germany, for example. Uh, uh, most importantly, it seems like on investors' minds and traders right now. But talk to us about, uh, again, what we saw in natural gas as the dust settles from a, a spike up to 975 yesterday. Yeah, I was worried about this, not specifically this, but I think uh, Russia announcing that they're going to slow the flow of natural gas is we have a client that lives in Germany and he's very plugged into the industry. And he said that as long as Nord Stream comes back online after maintenance, they'll be fine through the winter. And now they're not going to be fine through the winter anymore. And it seems like a strategic move by Russia to have a little bit more power as the cold weather starts to hit places like Germany and, well, and other parts of Northern Europe. You're talking about how basically it came back on 40% uh, flows, but now they're cutting that by half apparently. So ultimately we're talking about 20% of capacity. Right. And again, you know, our he's a client of ours. And, and he, he said, basically, if it comes back on to that 40 percent level between that and reserves, they'll be fine through the winter. Yeah. But it'll still be a very scary yeah, situation. They're not going to get that. Yeah, no. If, if Russia actually goes through, then produces only 20 percent. They don't have enough for winter. So it's a very precarious situation there. We all kind of have to hope for an end to the conflict prior to the winter. Mm -hmm. And that's the big problem the ECB has. And that's the big problem commodities have. Because if the EU goes into this just horrible energy crisis, yes, energy prices will rise, but overall hard commodities will likely fall uh, simply because of the massive slowdown. So it's going to be kind of a juxtaposition of the two things. A difficult situation to say the least here. And again, one where initially we had talked about this potentially being over in a short period of time. And now we're talking about, as you just mentioned, potential through the winter. I mean, just disappointing to say the least. Let's talk a little bit about lastly, Bob, I know you're always dialed in on Bitcoin and 
you know, I've been kind of keeping an eye on copper as an indicator in terms of economic conditions. Oftentimes, we kind of look at Bitcoin a little bit more as a reflection of investors' willingness to take on risk, and it just doesn't really seem to be suggesting that we've, uh, you know, gotten past any of the uncertainty, any of the unease that was weighing on price since the beginning of the year. I guess you go back to the beginning of November uh, for Bitcoin, ultimately, and the NASDAQ. Uh, talk to us about what you're seeing there because, yeah, we're back up above that 22, 23 area, but still kind of consolidating on the lows for the year and uh, disappointing for the bulls that were uh, involved uh, above this 25,000 level, to say the least. Yeah, Ben, just as you started to see a little bit of easing of the stablecoin drama between yeah. uh, Luna and Celsius and everything else that was happening, um, you start to see chatter from the SEC and people demanding more investigations. And and then you see Elon Musk selling Bitcoin and mm -hmm. you wonder how many corporations believe that with the over, I don't know what it was at this point, 50, 60 percent drop that we saw from the highs, whether it's realistic for corporations to hold Bitcoin currently or to have any Bitcoin on their balance sheet because it becomes a trade, which is not necessarily what uh, corporations are interested in doing, managing that type of volatility in their currency risk. So we have to get through all of those things. At this point, um, my friend Jim Iurio said a couple of days ago, he goes, I'm impressed with the way that Bitcoin has held in, mm. given all the headwinds had. And, yeah. and I have to say that that's a real thing, but these SEC headwinds are a bit more worrisome than some of the other things. Yeah, held in, but uh, still really struggling at this point so at these lower levels, consolidating and basically accepting the sell-off that we've seen. No rejection of these lower levels, as I like to put it here, hanging out right now as we speak at 21,400, slightly higher, up a couple percent this morning. Bob, I always appreciate you joining us here. A solid breakdown. Uh, Bob Iaccino, the founder, the chief strategist of Path Trading Partners, helping us take a look at the durable goods, orders, numbers, and, well, uh, a little bit of a, a widespread conversation there with a focus primarily on commodities. Bob, thanks again.